So we are continuing the series that we started a few weeks ago titled Life in the Desert. We're following the, the life not just of Moses and his leadership, but of the Israelite people. And, and this is the season of their history where they, um, again, left Egypt behind. They, God brought them through the Red Sea. And then we picked up this series of, of now this next season of, of their history and their experience with God and, and the rest of Moses' leadership. In fact, this, we're going to end this series, right? And, and the, even the season of desert ends in their life. Um, with the end of Moses's life, right? When he passes on the baton of leadership to Joshua and they, they go into the promised land. And so as we're looking in this, we see we have these desert times in our lives. We have these desert times in our faith. And, and just like Ben talked about, right? Sometimes it always feels like those are negative times, but they don't have to be. Right? In fact, we can see that, that, as we've already seen in this series, that there are, are lessons to be learned in the midst of the desert, Right, that God is actually more active and present sometimes in those, those times and seasons, those valleys of life and of faith, than he is, um, than we recognize sometimes even in the victories and on the top of the mountains. Now, God's obviously there with us then too, right? But again, so many times I think it's more even about not whether God's with us, but about our perspective and whether we look to God, right? And so many times we only look to God when, when we are in these desert seasons. Right? And, and that's one of the things that we learn right, as we have worked through this series that we're going to continue to see that not just the Israelites struggle with, but we see a lot of their struggles we can identify with ourselves. And as we've gone through this series, our theme verses for this series come out of the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19, where God's talking to them. And he, again, he reminds the Israelites of everything he did in Egypt and the Red Sea and all that, how he brought them out. And then he tells them, starting in verse 18, he says, but forget all of that, for it is nothing compared to what I am going to do, for I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in dry wasteland. Right? He, he shows us where to go. He gives us the next steps in our journey. And he brings cleansing water right, into those dry times in our lives. Right? So that he, and that's what God does. I mean, God's in the transformation business. Right? And, and that's the heart of God is what he wants to do. And he transforms a desert into an incredibly rich place. Right? And so as we see that, we've followed the Israelites again through this. The last few weeks, we've seen these, these keys to life in the desert. Okay, key, life in the desert, key number one, is to focus on God and his power to work through issues. Right? Focus on God and his power, not on the issues. And then life in the desert, key number two, is to rely on trusted, like-minded people to help you, especially in this season. And last week, we saw life in the desert, key number three, to submit to the sovereignty of God. And, and again, we saw last week, right, in that message of, of we know, we see these pieces of sovereignty, and we see what that, that big, fancy theological word means, right, is this God's the ultimate authority, he's the one that's there, and like, we understand that, but the, the hardest part of that key is the submit part. And now today, as we continue through the story, we're going to look at um, learn today, life in the desert, key number four. And that is, don't abandon God's plan for the quick fix. Okay, don't abandon God's plan for the quick fix. Now, as we look at this key and we, we look at this, right, abandoning God's plan before, for instead for instant results, for the quick fix, for feel good now. 
In fact, when you look at this, this key, this is, again, truthfully, the definition of sin. Right? I'm not going to do it God's way. I'm going to do it my way because it just seems like it's better. Right? I'm going to push God away, and I'm just going to take it on myself. I'm fine without him. Right? And, and again, the definition of sin, to do whatever I think is best to satisfy myself right now. Right? And we're always tempted to take that shortcut, aren't we? Right? Because the reality is we know how the way our, our hearts are. Right? I want it, and I want it now. <laughs> right? And we, we've all been there. Right? We all experience that feeling. And we think about even this idea of sin and what is it, the definition of sin. Really, the definition of sin ultimately always, almost always goes down to selfishness. It's putting myself before God. And, and, and again, we're, this is a, a, an important piece right, to remember, especially in these desert times of life and desert times of faith, is don't fall into that temptation to abandon God's plan to get the quick fix. The reality is you have to put the work in. Right? If you're going to get something different than you've ever gotten, you've got to put the work in. And the same is true in most things in life. Right? It's true financially. Right? You've got to have a good plan. You've got to put the work in. Okay? It's true in sports. Right? If you want to win, you've got to put the work in. Right? And the same is true in your faith. Right? If you want to move forward in your faith, if you want to be transformed by God's Spirit, be more like God tomorrow than you are today, you have to put the work in. Because the reality is God's already done his job. He already sent Jesus, right? He already died and rose again. God has given us that gift of his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness, right? And a transformation every day. You say, I'm here. Are you ready? Are you going to put the work in? Right? And, and as we look at that, we, we see this idea, right, that, that part of the struggle and this temptation is because it always feels like God works too slow. Right? Is that just me? Does anybody else ever feel that way? Right? I always feel like, like, but God, I've got this figured out. If you do this now, right, then this works. God, so just do what I want you to do, Lord. Is that just my prayer? I, I, don't, I don't think so, right? I can tell. It's probably not. We can all kind of mutually agree, right? Yes, we, we've been there. We get it. Right? And, and when you see, we look at the Israelites today, right? The, 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 we have to realize that waiting can be an important part of God's plan. Okay, that waiting sometimes is the, maybe the most important part of God's plan. Right? Because God's plan includes the right timing. Right? And God, God knows things and he sees things that we don't know or see. Again, go back to God's sovereignty. Right? And, and, but yet waiting can be a very important part of God's plan. Today we're going to jump in uh, to uh, the story in Exodus chapter 32. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Exodus chapter 32. If you're with us in person and don't have your own Bible, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats. You're welcome to grab and use. And you'll notice the page numbers included on where you can find this passage in those Bibles. You're with us online. Thanks for being with us as well. You can grab your Bible and follow along. If not, um, you can just listen because we're, we're going to look at this story. And, and again, keep your Bible open just like always. We're going to go back to it a couple different times and, and we're going to be looking at um, some of these passages. Um, and as we do that, um, I will tell you um, 
that this is a very, this is an interesting passage of scripture that we're covering today, right, in Exodus chapter 32, because actually when you look at the story, it actually doesn't fit. Okay, if you look through, we, like I said, we ended last week, if you remember, we ended here in, in chapter 31, um, where, where we've gotten all these instructions about the tabernacle and about all these kind of things. And then we have this section in, in verse 32, 33, and 34, right, that we're going to look at here, that, that kind of give, we get this sidebar story. Right, and then starting in chapter 35 again, it goes right back into the continuation from chapter 31, which moves from the instructions for the tabernacle to the actual execution of them building the tabernacle. And so it feels like that this, these three chapters kind of really don't fit in the story. And yet if we look at what actually happens here, it, it, um, it, it kind of makes a lot of sense. Okay, which is where, again, we learn this, this key, right, to not abandon God's plan for the quick fix. Okay, now, in this story, we see this familiar cycle, right, of sinful acts, of punishment, of intercession, and then forgiveness through grace. Again, this is a cycle that we've all lived in our lives, right? And this is one we see the Israelites go into here. We're going to pick up here Exodus 32. We're going to start at verse 1. Okay, where it says, When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. And so Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. And all the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. And then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. And when the people saw it, uh, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Aaron saw how excited the people were, and so he built an altar in front of the calf, and then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. And the people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings, and after this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. Okay, now we're going to stop right there for a minute. They, and, and basically, right, they, they, they make all kinds of mistakes, right, in these six verses. And these are mistakes, again, that we can kind of all see, right? But, but we, we understand that, that they, did, they made this mistake, right? They aban literally abandoned God's plan, right, for the quick fix. That's exactly what happens here. Now, as we look at this, right, the, again, the, ultimately their mistake, right, that they made okay, in this situation was that they, they were giving into sinful, fleshly temptations. Hey, now, it, as we look at this, right, we read what they do, right? They literally make an idol, then they worship it, and they create this big party and festival around it. Hey, now, as we start, though, with, with, they start with this mistake right out of the gate. I mean, this is not very long because we realize how short their memory is. Hey, because we see, remember, right, we talked about all the Ten Commandments and God being on the mountain and all these things last week, right? And then at the end of that, right, Moses goes back up the mountain into God's presence, where all of them were supposed to be, by the way, right? But they, again, in that mistake number three, they push God away, right? And they, they, so they, they send Moses. Now, Moses had not been gone very long. Okay, in fact, the entire time, the text tells us earlier, the whole time he was on the mountain was 40 days. I mean, this was just a little over a month. Now, with that said, um, you know, as we can kind of put it together, it wasn't even that long, right? I mean, he'd gone up there, and now this is in the, in the middle of this situation. And so, again, they, they just have a very short memory. 
Because Moses had not been that, that long. But then they, they commit this incredible sin. Right? And again, what was their sin? The Israelites just as a whole, their sin was worshiping the wrong thing. They, they, again, what did, what did they worship? They worshiped this idol, right? This, this golden calf. And now, if we look about, again, why was this such a terrible sin? Because remember, we looked at last week, right? What's the very first commandment? Have no God before me. Right? What's the second commandment? Do not make yourself any idols. Right? And, and literally, they, they break both of them. Right? Within a matter of days. <laughs> right? And again, they have such a short memory, and then they jump in, right? And, and again, they, they dive into this temptation. They give in to this sin. And that kind of the underlying attitude of the people, and you can kind of read between the lines and pick up on their attitude, right? It's just that any God will do as long as it makes us feel good right now. Right? We're not willing to wait. Right? We're not willing to, to, to follow right, this, this covenant, these, these kind of guidelines that God's laid out for us. Right? They literally break the first two within days right? because they don't want to wait. Right? They say, we have no idea what happened to Moses. You know exactly where Moses is. Right? You know exactly what he's doing. He's interceding to God for you. Right? And they were like, nope, we'll just abandon that, right? We, we want something to happen right now. Right? And, they, and, they, and they end up worshiping the wrong thing. Hey, now, in the midst of this, we also get this kind of zoomed in on Aaron. Hey, now, remember, Aaron is, is number two in charge, right? He, he's Moses' right-hand guy. Hey, you go about all the way back to, remember, in Egypt, right? Aaron gets pulled up because Moses says he needs help, right? He says, I can't talk well. And so and Aaron's role is to support Moses in being his spokesperson. Hey, and so he is, again, he's not, he's not the boss, right? He's, he's the second in command. Hey, but notice what happens here is the people come to Aaron, right? I mean, they kind of do the right thing, right? They come to him. Now, but then we kind of zoom in on Aaron and on his sin, right? Because he makes the same mistake they do. In fact, he doesn't just make it. He leads them into sin. Now, because Scripture is very clear about the, the leaders and the standard they're held to. Yeah, and again, Moses gets tested, or as Moses is gone, Aaron gets tested in his leadership. And guess what? He fails miserably, really fast. Right, we see, what was Aaron's sin? Aaron gave in to self-gratification. He went for the prestige and the popularity, right? Aaron's flesh gets the best of him really fast, right? Again, he knows where Moses is too, right? He knows what's supposed to happen. He's experienced all of this right alongside Moses and all the Israelite leaders, but they come to him Right? And they say, what do we do? And Aaron sees the opportunity for him to take over leadership. Right? And so he's like, well, I don't know, I have a, here's an idea. Right? Like, give me your goal. Right? And then he makes the calf. Right? And then notice right in the middle of the passage, it's, kind of, it's a little subtle, but it tells us very clearly in the text. Right? Why does Aaron continue on down this road? Because he saw how much the people liked it. Right? And you saw how much they turned to him, right? And he's like, hey, I kind of like this power. I kind of like this influence. I kind of, you know, like he starts feeding his own ego. 
right? And, and then he takes them down this road, right? And, and, and he gives in to self-gratification, to prestige, and to popularity. Ultimately, he fell to the sin of pride. I, I, the reality is he just gave the people what they wanted. Right? And man, isn't that a temptation every day? Right? Especially the leader. You know what? I'll just give them what they want and like, it'll all be fine. Don't buy that lie, <laughs> right? Now, again, the whole point, right, of walking with God, of, of surrendering my life to him, submitting to his sovereignty, I mean, you know, receiving Christ in my life is the fact that, I, that now I'm living for Christ. I'm only living to please him, not everybody else. Right, that I, that's what Jesus tells us to do, to die to ourself, right, so that God, his, so God can rebuild our life focused on him, not on me. Right? And, and, and we see here, this is exactly what Aaron does not do. He gave the people what they wanted. But the problem with what they wanted was that it was not authentic. Okay, the problem with what they wanted, with the whole calf and the festival and, and the worship and all that stuff, it, it was that it was fake. Okay, because if we look at this and everything that's described here in these verses that we just read, it literally parallels Exodus 20 through 24, what we looked at last week, when God's presence is there and, and with him and God tells him to do all these festivals and to do all that. And, and again, they had this authentic experience with God on the mountain, right? And we saw their response last week. They kind of pushed God away and they, they, they're, they used the wrong kind of fear. Instead of reverent fear that made them run up the mountain, they, they were afraid and paralyzed and they pushed God away and just said, Moses, you do it for us. Right? There was, again, there's sacrifice, there's worship, there's celebration. All of this happened with God on the mountain. And the difference was in Exodus 20 and 24, God was the one that orchestrated that. Right? His presence was at the center of it. The problem with this, right, is this, this is a cheap imitation. The calf, right, the, the, the sacrifice, the worship, all of that, it, it's completely man-made. Right? Aaron fabricated all of this. So it's counterfeit. It's a cheap imitation of what God actually did for them. Right? In fact, if we look at this, this compared to this whole worship and this festival and this party that they throw around the calf, compared to what happened with God just a few chapters beforehand, right? we realize this is literally the comparison of man-made religion to a true relationship with God. Right, Christianity is not a religion. It is not an organized religion. Right? Organized religion is, is about all these things that we do to, get, you know, to fabricate this situation. Right? And that's exactly what Aaron does. And he gives them what they want. Right? But the problem is it's fake. It's a cheap imitation right? to the relationship that God wants with them. Because the problem with this, the, the number one problem with this whole situation is God's not involved. Right? God's still on the mountain with Moses. Right? And I'll tell you, is whether it's Christianity or any other world religion, if God's not involved, it's not worth it. It is a cheap imitation. Right? And just checking off the boxes and saying, you know, I'm going to do that right. That's religion, and that is a cheap imitation of what God wants in your life. He wants a relationship with you. God loves you. He loves you more than you can imagine. Right? God wants you to love him back. He wants a relationship with you. 
right? And that's what those guidelines are supposed to take us, is deeper into that relationship. And now later, as we move on in chapter 32, in verses 6 through 20, Okay, is now Moses up there, and now God shows up, right, and tells Moses, hey, Moses, you need to go down the mountain because these people are messing up. And Moses is like, no, they wouldn't do that. It hasn't been that long. Right? And God is like, well, they are, right? And, and he goes on, and then God literally says how mad he is about the situation. Right? And then Moses has this interaction with God and be like, God, just give them another chance. Like, they're not that bad. It's not that bad. Right? And, God, and, and, and so then God gives, has this righteous anger, right, that they've literally just broken the commandments he just gave them days ago. Right? And, and then Moses kind of, you know, convinces God, right, that like, no, like, don't just, uh, you know, destroy them and start over with me. Like, 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 it's okay. And then God's like, okay, fine, but you still need to go down the mountain. Right? And then Moses goes down, and as it says Joshua's with him, and they go down the mountain, they start to hear, and they hear the partying. Right? And, and then Moses comes down, and then Moses sees what God already saw. And Moses has this moment where his heart just sinks. And again, if you've ever been a leader, you know this feeling, don't you? Right, when you, again, you've done everything you can do and you've, you, you've felt like I've led them well and I've trained people and I've, I've focused on this and then, and then they, the people don't respond in the way that you hoped they would. Right, and you realize, right, that, man, this has not worked. Right, and Moses then gets angry. Okay, and in fact, if you look at the text, the, the, the word, the Hebrew words that's described for Moses' anger as he gets to the bottom of the mountain and sees what's actually happening is exactly the same phrase that is used earlier in the chapter about God's anger. Okay, and as he comes down, and we see, um, again, Moses, um, as we see, has become, because of what happened last time, right? Moses is the representation of God to the Israelite people. Okay, and we see how Moses, as he comes down, his reaction and he gets down and sees what's happening is that he represents God in his righteous anger and frustration. Okay, you know what Moses does right, when he gets this? He's got the tablets in his hands that God wrote right, all the Ten Commandments on. Okay, and he throws those down on the ground and smashes them right, in his frustration and anger. Yeah, and then he goes down there, right, and he confronts Aaron, and he confronts the Israelites, and guess what? He grabs the golden calf, and guess what he does with that? He throws that down, and he crushes it, right? Now, not only does he crush the calf, okay, and destroys it, okay, but then he takes the dust, the gold dust of, of it, right, and he, he grinds it down even further, and then, then you know what he does? Then he takes that dust, and he puts it in the water and makes the people drink it. Right, because he wants them to realize the weight of what they've done. Right, he really, literally wants them to choke on their own sin. Right, and then we see, as, as he does that, he represents God, right? That the irony, right, if you go back to see, okay, why did God bring all this up with Moses on the mountain first, right, was that um, there's this irony about Moses convincing God not to give in to his anger towards the Israelite people, and then he goes down and gives in to his own anger. Right? And, and, and in the midst of this, Moses smashes two things. Right? He smashes the, the tablets that God wrote the commandments on, and he also smashes the calf that the people made. Now, both of these were religious symbols. 
right? One was the symbol of the covenant that God had made, right, with them. And then God was involved, and the other one is the symbol of the religion that they had made up where God was not involved, right? And they both get smashed. And again, this, this is showing, right, that any religious pursuit that doesn't center on God and a relationship with him is going to be broken, Right? Because even when God was in the middle of it, right? when God had done that, I mean, set Alfred, God had done all the work for them, and yet they pushed him away, then that, that's not going to help them either. Right? Because, again, God's not in that anymore. Right? They pushed God out. But then the cheap man-made imitation right, in the calf, again, is, ju- is more worthless than that. Right, the smashing of the tablets represents how this covenant relationship is broken with God. Not because of God's side, because the people didn't hold up their end of the deal, right? They broke the first two commandments right out of the gate. And then we see, right, the, the, the breaking of, of um, again, of, of the calf, right, shows how empty that pursuit is. And we see this, I, this there's this passage, I, I've loved these verses, I've looked at them so many times, but in the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, He says, has any nation ever traded its gods for new ones, even though they are not gods at all? And yet my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. And the heavens are shocked at such a thing and shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord. For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. Right? And again, this even describes exactly what the Israelites have done, right? They've taken, you know, God's love, right? His fountain of living water, and they've rejected it. Right? And they've traded it, right, for their own idea, their own version of religion and of feeling good and do whatever they want, right? And, but yet this says, but it's a cracked cistern. It doesn't hold anything. Right? It's fake. It is broken. That anything we find that a little bit fills us up, right, where God's supposed to do it, anything we do, it just leaks out the bottom. And we're more empty than we were before. And we're literally trading everything that God wants for us, that he's done for us, right? Even the sacrifice that Jesus made to die for us. And to, re- and to rise again, right, so that we can be in a relationship with him. And we take that and we trade it for the cheap imitation for instant results. And we do it over and over and over again. Right, and notice what does it say? It says the angels, the heavenly realm, they look at that like, why on earth would anybody ever do that? Like, they're shocked that we would do that. Are we shocked? We should be, right? Because, but again, but we're also convicted, aren't we? Because how many times have we made that trade? Right? How many times have we seen what God wants for us, right? And, and God's like, here, just, just receive it. Just take it. Like, I, I want to go here with you. Like, let's dive deep into relationship. Let's, 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 let's get through the desert, right? Let's go all this. I'm with you. And, and we're like, thanks, God, but I'm good. But we've all made that exchange, haven't we? And then we wonder why we end up emptier than we were before. Right? And as we, as we see you know, this 
this trade, right, this mistake that they made that we can all identify with. Right, then we get to the next phase, right, of when, once we realize our own sin, like now how are we going to react to it? Right, once we realize we fall short of God's glorious standard, once we realize I cannot save myself, now what's going to be my reaction? Am I going to turn back to God? Am I going to move somewhere new? Or am I just going to continue to go back to the same broken cisterns over and over and over again? Okay, well, we see two different reactions to the sin here in the text. Okay, the first one we see is Aaron's poor reaction to his sin. In fact, we see this in, in Exodus uh, 32, verses 21 through 24. Okay, where um, we see, again, Moses um, confronts Aaron, okay, and he says, Finally, he turned to Aaron and demanded, What did these people do to you to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? Don't get so upset, my lord, Anne replied. You yourself know how evil these people are. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. And when they brought it to me, I simply threw it into the fire and out came this calf. <laughs> right? Yeah, we all be like, really, Aaron? Right, but to what Aaron does here, though, again, is something that we can all identify with, isn't it? Right, we get caught in our sin, and we're like, it's not my fault, it was his fault, it was them, like, this, it, like, this situation, like, I was set up, right? Like, uh, the, I mean, all we do is just we point to everybody else to try and get the spotlight off of us. In fact, literally what Aaron does here, right, this very poor reaction to, to, um, to his sin, right, is, is he does exactly what Adam and Eve do in Genesis 3. Okay, and we see that this is the normal re human reaction when we get called out on our sin, isn't it? Right, that he just, we just, we just try to blame anybody else, we get spotted off of ourselves, right, it's everyone's fault but mine. And, and again, this is a very poor reaction, when we get caught in our own sin. Again, we can all identify, can't we? And now, though, we see, again, the, the different reaction from the Israelites. Okay, the Israelites have a very appropriate reaction to their sin. In, in Exodus 33, verses 4 through 6, it says that when the people heard these stern words, they went into mourning and stopped wearing their jewelry and fine clothes. For the Lord had told Moses to tell them, you are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I were to travel with you for even a moment, I would destroy you. Remove your jewelry and fine clothes while I decide what to do with you. So from that time they left Mount Sinai, the Israelites wore no more jewelry or fine clothes. Okay, again, what did they do? First, they go back and they do key number three, don't they? They submit to God's sovereignty. Right? And, and in fact, they, they, they strip themselves of their gold or their fine clothes. Because remember, they left Egypt with everything. Right? They had all kinds of wealth. They had all this gold. They had all these fancy clothes. They had all this stuff right? that, that God gave them as they left Egypt. And now they realize that all of that stuff is a stumbling block for them. Right? That all that stuff is the temptation. Right? Notice, they still had gold jewelry and fine clothes. And all this, right? they, hadn't, they gave some of it to Aaron, which was, well, they, he made this calf, right? But they realized that, hey, this stuff is getting between me and God, and so I'm going to strip it out of my life. 
Right? And what we see here is a picture of true repentance. Okay, and true repentance is very different than confession. Okay, confession is just saying, like, yes, I sinned. Right? That's confession. Okay, but what we see here is we have a true repentance, which includes confession, but it doesn't stop there. In fact, confession is just the start of true repentance. Okay, true repentance is where we acknowledge our sin. That's confession. And then we humble ourselves before God, and we seek his forgiveness, which is exactly what it says with what they do. Right? And then the next step beyond that, right, of seeking forgiveness from God is receiving that forgiveness, and then we make changes in our lives to ensure that we don't do it again. Right? That then we move in a new healthy direction. Right? And we set up boundaries in our lives, or we get rid of what stumbles up, right, or whatever it is, right, and say, I am not going down that road again. And again, if, if your sin is, is greed, right, and, and, and you know, um, squandering God's stuff, then I'm going to set up these new boundaries, and I'm going to get my finances in order and, and get, get right, right, and do, do it God's way. Right? If my sin is, is sexual impurity, right, or I get sucked into that, right, then I'm going to set up these boundaries in my life and have accountability partners and put filters on my phone and do whatever I got to do to not go there again. Right? If pride builds up to me, right, and I do that, then I get people in my life that will tell me the truth, right, when I start to go down the wrong road again. Right? And that's true repentance. Right? Is setting stuff up in my life to where I continue to be transformed by God's Spirit so that I'm saying, I'm not going to get duped like that again. Because all it does is push God away, and I want more of God in my life. Right? And as we see, again, this, this, there's a big difference between confession and repentance. Right? And if we could truly repent, again, and move in a new way, then I start moving forward in my faith journey. And as I do that, we see the same thing will happen in your life that happens in their life. What we see happen in them is redemption comes from God as he reestablishes their covenant relationship. Okay, they find redemption with God. Okay, in Exodus 34... Um, verses 1 through 17, okay, we, we, we see this happen for them. Okay, and, and God, um, again, God redeems them, right? And he sets up. Okay, and we see, I want to read just a little snippet of this passage. We're going to pick up in Exodus 34 at verse 5. Okay, Exodus 34, verse 5. And it says, Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called out in his own name, Yahweh. And the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren, and the entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. And Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and worshipped. And as we see these verses, again, these, are, these are, are powerful verses, right, that show us the character of God, right, and, and the heart of God, right, as well as an appropriate response to that. And in fact, if we see in the midst of these verses, there are seven affirmations of God's generosity and forgiving spirit. He's merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, faithfulness, keeping in love, and forgiving, 
Okay, and in the midst of that, though, we also see there are two reminders of God's sovereignty, right? That God will not overlook sin, that he cannot be mocked, right? And that, that he will give out just consequences for that sin, right? Now, this, again, is the definition of reverent fear of God, right? Of knowing that those things are true, right? And even though those are all true of God, notice, again, Moses' response, right? That he humbles himself before God and he worships and he submits to who God is, Right? And in fact, these, we look at these characteristics of God that are described here, and even Moses' reaction, and, and how God is gracious and forgiving, right? Because again, he'll say, I will not overlook sin, right? And that is still true. In fact, that is at the center of the gospel. Okay, Romans 5, 8, and 9 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. God does not overlook sin. That's why he sent Jesus. And so Jesus could pay the price for us so we can experience those other seven attributes of God's character, right? His love. So that sin is still atoned for, it is still paid for by the blood of Jesus, right? And God knew that we needed him. Right? That's what this first covenant showed, right? That we cannot save ourselves. We're always going to fall short. Even days after we get it, right? Again, Jesus came for us even while we were sinners. And he stepped in our place and he died and he rose again to conquer sin and death. So that we can be set free. Right? That is the gospel. Right, and we see this whole experience with the Israelites in their sin is a foreshadowing of that gospel message and why we need Jesus. Right, what we see happen as, as this story continues in this next section in Exodus 35, 1 through um, 40, 38, is this is now when we see, now what do we do after the calf, Right? What do we do in our lives after we get called out and we repent? Now, can we ever move forward, right? And we know that, right? We've all had that feeling about like, man, I messed up. Can I, is our relationship different? Yes, it is, right? But we can move forward, right? And that's exactly what we see happen in this section, right? Because now they are once again tested of will they execute God's plan? Okay, will they do what God told them to do, right? Because that's where they messed up. God told them what to do and they broke it days after. And now they say, now God's like, now are you going to do it? Right? Are, are we on a good place? Are you, are you ready to submit to what I want you to do and to actually follow through and do it? Right? And in fact, we see them do it. They, they execute God's plan. They build the tabernacle. They set up all these things in their lives. Right? Again, they set up these new boundaries, this God's presence, so that they don't go down that road again because that road is terrible. Right? In fact, we see at the end of this section, Right? In, in Exodus 40, verse 33, it says, and at last Moses finished the work. The tabernacle gets built. Right? And it's all done exactly to God's plan. And again, what is the result right, of them actually executing God's plan? Well, the result is God's continual presence and direction. Okay, flip to the very last section right, of, of this in, in uh, Exodus chapter 40. Okay, verses 34 through 38. Right, this is literally where we are ending the book of Exodus. 
Okay, and again, as we get to the end of this, and this is what it says. It says, Then the cloud covering the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And now whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey and following it. But if the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it lifted. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day, and at night fire glowed inside the cloud, so the whole family of Israel could see it. And this continued throughout all their journeys. They had God's presence with them, right? It was God's direction, right? They showed that, yes, God, very clearly, cloudless, we move, right? And we, and we follow his direction, and then when it comes out, we stop. And, and again, they were submitted to God and to his presence was with them all the time. This is the same promise that God gives us. Uh, what is, again, what was Jesus' promise? In this world, you will have troubles and trials, but take heart, because I've overcome the world. All right, what's the end of the Great Commission? All right, we go into the world, make nations of, you know, baptizing them, name Father, Son, make these disciples, and he says, what's the last thing he says in the Great Commission? And I am with you to the very end of the age. Right, as we think about this idea, right, we can all identify, right, we've all chosen sin. We've all gone down that road. But can we truly confess? Can we truly repent? Can we receive Christ in our lives and his love and his grace and now move in a new direction in his presence every day? I hope you can. Right, and I don't know, again, where you're at in your faith journey. Maybe you've never received Christ. You've never received that grace and love and forgiveness the first time. If you've never done that, then I encourage you to do that today. You pray and ask God into your life, right? If, if you have received Christ in your life, and yet you've made these same mistakes that we've all made, right, then it's one step back, right, to be in God's presence and follow his leading, right? And, and confess your sin, right? Repent from that, move in a new direction. My final thought for you today is this, Romans 3, 23 and 24. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Right? And because of Jesus, because of the gospel, right, everything that's described in those verses of God's character are still true. God does not overlook sin, but Jesus paid the price for us right, so that we can experience his love and grace every day. God, we praise you that you are the God of all of our days. God, we praise you that you made a way, Lord, for us have our sin faithful. God, you stepped in our place. You sent yourself to live that life, to die on the cross, to rise again, so that we can live a new life in you, so that we can be transformed by your spirit, so that we can be made holy, so that we can be loved by you every day and be in that deep relationship with you. And God, I pray that as we go this week, Lord, that we would live out that faith, live out the gospel. God, not make the same mistake that God, help us to learn our lesson the way the Israelites did. God, to humble ourselves before you. God, receive your love and grace and mercy. And God, please move us in a new direction, closer to you. And God, as we do that, I pray that your light and your love will shine through us in this world. God, that others will see your presence in our lives, God, and, and want the same thing. Lord, help us to be faithful to this opportunity you give us to share who you are. God, to shine your light and start your life. Lord, as we go this week, 
Lord, we commit to living our faith every day. Lord, to doing everything you tell us to do. We're not going to take the truth.